So some of you may recognize me as one of the MCs here at Waters Church, and so you can view this service today as one of two things. This is going to be either the longest announcements you've ever heard, or I'm going to actually deliver the message today. So I hope you guys choose to come with me on this side, which is delivering the message. And as you saw from the video, it's about enjoying the ride, about enjoying joy. And so we're going to continue on this series um, from the book of Philippians and all about joy and what we have. So as we start to talk about joy, let's first talk about prayer. All right, prayer. It definitely works. I'm a firm believer in prayer, and I see a few heads nodding, and I know you guys have testimonies. There's a hand up in the back. That's awesome. So you guys can testify that prayer has worked in your life, and I bet you've seen more than one example of that. And some of you may be wondering about that. Is that true? I've never seen prayer work for me. I don't know how prayer works because I prayed for this or prayed for that, and I've never heard that answer. I prayed for a breakthrough. God, give me a sign. Show me something. But you don't get an answer. God's not speaking directly to you. And in fact, the only thing you do here is crickets, right? Or the air conditioning coming on. It's one of the two. <laughs> Just crickets, right? Just nothing is happening. So there's a, a great author um, and Christian pastor in San Antonio, Texas. His name's Max Licato. And in his book, Grace, he asked that same question. He asked, what if God says no? How are you going to respond? If he says, I've given you my grace, isn't that enough? And so if you already are a Christian today, you got to ask yourself, if you get nothing else from God the rest of your life, is his forgiveness, his salvation, his grace, is that enough for you? And if you're not yet a Christian, ask yourself that same question. I mean, you're here for a reason today. God has put you here today. Jesus is knocking on your heart, asking you to let him in. But if all you get is his grace, forgiveness for your sins, salvation, if that's all you get, is that going to be enough for you? So, actually, you know, before we get farther, let's, let's just stop right here. Let's pray for a second. Again, I'm a believer in prayer, so let's all bow our heads before we hear the word, and let's, uh, let's just pray together. So, God, you know, first and foremost, we do thank you for your grace, Lord. We, we recognize the salvation you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for that. We are so, so thankful for that. God, we pray that your message is heard and your message is delivered, that it is your words that are spoken to all the hearts here today, and it's not my words, that, that you would set on each individual here, whether they come here regularly or if this is the first time, that this message would speak to them, God, and that they would act on that. In Jesus Christ, your holy name, we thank you. Amen. So some of us are facing some pretty major challenges right now, and you're probably in one of two groups. You're on this group over here that's going through a major challenge, either in your family Maybe it's your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe you're here today and your spouse isn't. Maybe it's your job. It's disease. Something has got you wrapped up. Or you're on this other side over here, which you're not going through a major challenge, but you do know someone over there. You've got a friend or a family member that is going through that major challenge right now. And so the question today is, how are you going to face it? How are you going to face that challenge? either going through it directly or helping someone get through it. And I know some of you guys, at least the rest of you, are probably going, wait a minute. He said this is a message on joy. This sounds kind of depressing to me. This whole series is supposed to be about joy. He said the title of the message is Enjoy Joy, but I'm not hearing anything joyful yet. And I promise, I promise it's coming, okay? The message on joy is about experiencing this joy through those high times and through those low times. So we're gonna to continue to look at the book of Philippians. We're gonna look at Paul and find out what he has to say about this. So we're gonna look at verse uh, four, uh, chapter four, verse 11 and 12 right now. Pay attention, there's two specific words that really jumped out to me from this passage. It says, I have learned to be satisfied with the things I have. 
I've learned to be satisfied with the things I have and with everything that happens. I know how to live when I am poor, and I know how to live when I have plenty. I have learned the secret of being happy at any time, in anything, in everything that happens. When I have enough to eat and when I go hungry. When I have more than enough and when I don't have enough to eat. I think I just butchered that last part. (laughs) When I have more than I need and when I do not have enough. This is what Paul is telling us, okay? Powerful, powerful words. But the two words that stick out to me in here are learned, and he says them twice. I have learned, and then he says it again. I have learned the secret. So he's learning the secret. And the question I ask about this is what more could Paul have learned? Because if you remember from earlier in the series, we know who Paul is. Paul wasn't always called Paul. His name was once Saul, okay? And Saul was a persecutor of Christians. He hated Christians. He would torment, torture, imprison. Many believe some were killed at the hands of Paul, all right? But Saul here, excuse me, Saul is headed on this road to Damascus, and he's chasing Christians out of Jerusalem when he encounters Jesus. And at that moment, Saul now becomes Paul as we know him. And his life does a 180-degree turn, and he takes his life in the other direction because of that encounter he had with Jesus. And really, Paul's not much different than any of us. Our life is going one way. It's going the wrong way. Until we have that encounter with Jesus, we turn, and we go 180 degrees in the opposite direction. So I got to wonder, what else could Paul have learned? And what he's telling us is, Although he learned so much in that moment that he turned his life and went the other direction, there's still more for him to learn, and he can still learn. So how do we learn? We as adults in this room, how do we learn? We're very different than children, okay? Children are like sponges. They take it all in. They absorb everything. They learn so quickly, so easily. But us as adults, it's a little bit tougher for us to learn. So there is a principle that many large corporations use. It's called 70-20-10, and this is what they teach, and this is how they train their employees. These are big corporations like Microsoft, Sony, American Express, Nike, L'Oreal, even Covidian right up the road. They all use 70-20-10 to teach their employees. So 70 represents experience. 70% of what you are going to learn is going to come through actual experience. So that just means you're going to roll up your sleeves, you're going to get your hands dirty, you're going to be uncomfortable, kind of put yourself out there uh, and learn from that experience just by going through it. 20% of what you're going to learn is going to come from other people. And that's one reason we're such strong proponents of small groups here at Waters Church is because you're going to learn from those conversations with other people. And you're going to learn because of their 70%, right? Their experience that they went through. Now, the remaining 10% doesn't really bode very well for someone like myself that's teaching here today, but only 10% of what you're going to learn comes from classroom-style teaching, which is essentially kind of what this is. Only 10% will actually be learned from that. So 70, 20, 10, and I got to think, God created us, God made us this way. Is that why sometimes we don't hear that answer? It's because God wants us to learn it, but he knows we're going to learn it by going through that experience. Anyone here a history buff? Anybody? Thank you so much. All right, there's a few others. At the service last night, there was like one guy. It was just me and him, just the whole time. So um, I I love history. Uh, World War II, American Revolution, the Renaissance, whatever it is. I love it because I always try and imagine myself in that time, right, in that situation, going through that. Now, my wife, on the other hand, um, when she comes in, she finds me watching the History Channel. It's either the History Channel or History Channel 2. It's one of the two. And she's always like, oh, my gosh, can we please watch something else? She doesn't share that that same love that I do. But I love trying to imagine myself there. So let's journey for a moment back to, to Paul's time. And let's understand what Paul is going through when he writes these words in verse 11 and 12. 
So at this point, Rome is literally the center of the world, politically, economically, socially. All roads lead to Rome. You guys have heard that saying, right? That was literally true at that time. Rome was the center of the world. And here is Paul, all right? The year's about 60 AD. For him, it had been maybe 26, 27 years since he was on that road to Damascus, right? And his life took that 180 degree turn since he first encountered Jesus. So it's 26, 27 years later. Here he is, he's about 55 years old when he's writing this, and he's literally chained to a Roman guard. We know he was in prison. We're not sure if it was like house arrest or it was actually prison again, but we do know that he was chained to a Roman guard when he's writing these words. So put yourself in Paul's sandals for a moment. Can you relate to that? You're not literally chained to a Roman guard, but you're probably chained to something else. If you've been a Christian for a while, maybe it's been years, maybe it's been decades since you first encountered Jesus, and there's still things that you're facing, still chains that have got you wrapped up right now. If you're not yet a Christian, I guarantee there's something that's got you in chain right now. And it's not a Roman prison guard, but it's something else. It could be debt. It could be money. It's got you wrapped up so tight in chains, it's tough to take a breath sometimes. Or it could be, could be disease. It could be, hey, the, the cancer's back. I've got cancer. Things are not looking good. This illness, myself, my child, someone in my family's going through. It's got me wrapped up in chains right now. Or it could be you. It could be your own self-worth, your own value. You doubt yourself and what you're worth to to yourself, let alone to others, and especially to, to God, the creator of the universe. What could you even matter? What could you be worth to him? So we are all wrapped up in something right now. I want to take a look real quick at, uh, at kind of a new story. I think this guy's like a modern-day Paul. His name's Pastor Saeed Abedini. Has anyone heard of this name? Yeah, amazing testimony. So this guy has been locked up in an Iranian prison for about two years. Let's read what the, uh, the Washington Times article has to say about him. American Pastor Saeed Abedini is serving an eight-year prison sentence for proselytizing. Um, that essentially just means preaching. It always kind of sounds like something different to me, so I'm just going to say preaching. For preaching his Christian faith in the Islamic Republic of Iran. But that plight didn't stop him from pinning a powerful Easter message from his hospital bed just this past uh, April, Easter Sunday. This guy's a modern-day Paul. He is in probably one of the worst places in the world for a Christian to be, let alone a Christian pastor. All right? Just like Paul, who was in a Roman prison, one of the worst places to be for a Christian, let alone someone that just can't stop talking about Jesus. One of the worst places for both of those men to be. Yet at the most recent count, this is probably about four or five months ago, because it's, as you can imagine, it's difficult to get information out of an Iranian prison right now. Pastor Saeed Abdini has converted more than 30 people, 30 of his fellow prisoners to Jesus. Is that awesome or what? Yeah. So what the devil is used for harm, God is using for good and allowing this pastor to bless people right now in this Iranian prison and have them come to Jesus. And I think about Paul again, and I think, man, that Roman guard that was tied to him probably didn't stand a chance. I mean, because Paul's just preaching all day long, and the guy's just always tied to him. I bet he heard that message over and over again. And uh, you know, we have no evidence that this prison guard was actually converted to Jesus, but um, we do have evidence Paul's done it before to other Roman prison guards. The first time he was in prison, same thing happened, and the Bible does tell us that, he, that this gentleman was converted to become a follower of Jesus. So I kind of like to believe that this guy was too. So let's talk for a moment about what's going on. So Paul is in house arrest. He's writing this letter to the church at Philippi. And let's, um, let's look at the map for a second and, and show you exactly where Philippi is. So if you see at the top, kind of in the middle, that's Philippi right there. 
And this is the letter that, that Paul's writing to. He's writing from Rome on the top left of your map there. So Philippi is kind of interesting. It's one of the first churches in Europe, okay? This is a place that was originally referred to as Macedonia. We know it as Greece today. And it's an incredibly strategic city. You can see kind of the location there. It's definitely a gateway between Europe through the Middle East and into Asia. So it's a very strategic city. Um, they had an abundance of gold in the area. There's plenty of gold mines surrounding Philippi. So it was a pretty rich city. If you're going to plant a church, this is an incredibly strategic location to plant a church. And in fact, it does become one of the first churches in Europe. So other interesting story about this, does anyone recall the assassination of Julius Caesar? Remember hearing about that in history and stuff in high school? Yeah, thank you. So the assassination of Julius Caesar happened you know, in the Roman Empire there, but what happens next is there was two gentlemen, good friends of Caesar's, Mark Antony, who is not J. Lo's ex-husband, Mark Anthony. This is the original <laughs> Mark Anthony. And his other friend, Octavian. And so they traveled to Philippi in what's known as the Battle of Philippi. And they avenge Caesar's death. And they essentially slaughter um, the people responsible for, Jesus's, uh, I'm sorry, for Julius Caesar's death at that time. So this is in the year about 42 B.C. That same guy, Octavian, he rises to the throne. Now he is essentially the Caesar. He's in charge of the Roman Empire. And he has a stepson that later ascends the throne. His name is Tiberius. And you guys may start to recognize that name because it's mentioned in the book of Luke. Tiberius was the Caesar in charge at the time of Jesus's crucifixion. And so there's two other gentlemen now. Let's take the arrow down to the Jerusalem area here. You're gonna see there's two other gentlemen. You'll definitely recognize these names, Pontius Pilate and King Herod. And these guys were in, were in control of the Jerusalem area at that time, but they reported to Tiberius and they were deathly afraid of this guy. And that's part of the reason why some of the, the events happened that came into place that led to Jesus's crucifixion is because they did not want an uproar. They could not take that. They did not want Tiberius coming down on them. So this is, this is kind of interesting. It's, um, it's amazing to me how God works. And just like we had Paul on that road to Damascus, his life takes a 180 degree turn and goes the opposite direction. Same thing is going to happen right now with the Roman Empire. So what you're going to see next is Paul does some traveling. He travels. All, a lot of those names look familiar because they're actually um, additional letters that Paul wrote, like to the church of Corinth and Ephesus, uh, Galatia, Colossia. So he ends up in Philippi, and he plants this church all right, that he's now writing this letters to. And then Paul continues on his journeys all throughout the Mediterranean, and he ends up in this Roman prison. And here's what he writes. At the very end of the book of Philippians, uh, verse 21, this is what Paul writes, and this is how he closes it up. He says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. Now watch this. Especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So he says, especially those of Caesar's household. Remember, this is the same Roman Empire, the same Caesar that Christians are being persecuted for. They're literally being thrown to the lions in the Colosseum, and they are being killed. And the average lifespan of a Christian at that time was not very long. It was probably measured in months and not necessarily in years. But watch how God uses that to expand Christianity in the empire, because at this point, it's taken off. Paul's preaching, churches are being planted, and Christianity is exploding throughout the Roman Empire. So fast forward to about the year 64, there's a new guy in charge in the Roman Empire. His name is Nero, okay? And there's this great Roman fire that happens. And Nero takes this as an opportunity to blame the Christians and to use them as a scapegoat. Even though they had nothing to do with the fire, he still blames them. 
Only the only thing that happens is he doesn't eradicate Christianity like he was hoping to do. Christianity continues to spread, all right? It's the same as if, you know, this weekend, if you're cooking on, on the charcoal grill or whatever, and you pour some gasoline, you just dump it over top there, not only is there a fire, now there's an explosion, and that's exactly what happens with Christianity. It continues to explode throughout the Roman Empire so much that you fast forward to the year 313 AD, and there's a new emperor, his name's Constantine. He issues what's known as the Edict of Milan, and that essentially says, hey, Christianity is okay. Christians will no longer be persecuted. They will no longer be tortured. It's okay to be a Christian throughout the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire controlled the world at that time, and that paved the way for those same Christians to use all the roads that Rome had developed and created as a pathway to spread Christianity to the rest of the world at that time. Amazing, 180-degree turnaround. So I kind of like to think those same secrets, right? That same secret that Paul learned, and now he's in Rome. Do you think he shared that with those people, those people that are in Caesar's household? Do you think he encouraged them with that same strength that would give them the desire, knowing that they're probably gonna die for what they say, but they just can't keep it in, they can't contain it. They wanna start spreading the message, and that's what led to this explosion of Christianity in the Roman Empire. So I promise I keep dangling out the secret. We're gonna get to the secret here in just a minute. But let's jump back to Paul. So he's writing this letter. He seems to be in a pretty good mood, right? We, we recognize the letter of Philippians is the treatise on joy. It's the book of joy. And he's in a pretty good mood. And, and who knows, sometimes when you're going through a tough time, just getting that encouragement is nice to hear. So if you're on this camp over here and you know somebody that's going through that difficult challenge, just a text message, letting them know you're praying for them, you believe in them, encouraging that joy that they should have in their faith. It's good to hear, and Paul's telling us the same thing. He got the same type of encouragement from his friends at this Philippian church. So even though Paul is in a good mood, he still wrestles with this question. And it's a really interesting question. He says, basically, should I continue living or should I die? Only for Paul, it's more like this. It's more like, should I continue living or should I die? Because for Paul, dying means he gets to go meet again that same Jesus that he encountered on the road to Damascus. He gets to be in heaven with that same Jesus that he has spent the rest of his life, life preaching and teaching and sharing the message of the gospel with. He can't take it anymore. He just wants to be closer to Jesus. But instead, in verse 22, he says, but I will stay with you to help you grow and have joy in your faith. And that some of you are at right now. You need to stay right where you're at and you need to encourage somebody else. And you may not wanna do it, you may wanna be free of this, you wanna be free of those chains, they're bringing you down too, but you need to stay right where you're at and you need to encourage that person to have joy in their faith because they're counting on you. Stay and help someone grow and have joy in their faith. All right, so let's get to the secret. You guys ready for the secret? All right, so the secret, that same secret to freeing yourself from those chains, to helping others free themselves from their chains, all right? The same secret that was shared with Caesar's household that led to this explosion of Christianity, that same secret is in the very next line of that first verse that we started with. But there's a reason we didn't start with Philippians 4.13. It's because Philippians 4.13 has often become that coffee mug type scripture, that scripture you see on bumper stickers and t-shirts. And when you just read Philippians 4.13, you may take it to mean something that it doesn't really mean. Instead, you've got to understand the context. You've got to read the verses before. You've got to understand what Paul's going through and what is he chained to? What's it like in this Roman prison? And then you read Philippians 4.13 and it means something completely different than what you originally thought it meant. I know it did for me. 
So Philippians 4.13, and I want everyone to say this because these are important words. You need to say this to yourself and you need to know this verse. And now that you know what it means, let's all say it together. Are you ready? Philippians 4.13, let's start. One, two, three. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's it. That is the secret. And I like how the Message Bible shows it too. Let's read what the message says. It says, whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. You've got strength that you didn't know you had. And it comes from Jesus Christ. So whether you have a lot or you have a little, if you are burdened or if you're blessed, if you're strained or successful, it doesn't matter. You can do all things, go through all situations because of Jesus Christ, the giver of strength. And all you have to do is you just have to ask for it. You just have to ask for it. If you're a Christian today, you just ask for that strength to go through what you're going through, to help somebody else go through what they're going through, just like Paul did. And if you're not yet a Christian, you've got two questions to ask yourself. The first question is you need to ask Jesus to come into your heart. And then the second question is now you ask him for that strength to go through what you're going through. First uh, Timothy 1.12, he echoes the exact same thing. He says, I thank him who has given me strength. Jesus is the giver of strength. You are the one to ask for that strength. But notice, too, that this is something that is learned, right? Remember talking about Paul and what he was able to learn. He didn't boast about this. He didn't say, I always had this perspective. I always knew this. Instead, he said, I had to learn this. And again, maybe that's, that's why sometimes when God doesn't directly answer your prayer and you just hear those, those crickets, maybe it's because God knows how you learn. And 70% of how you're going to learn is going to come through going through that experience. And you're just going to have to go through it. And that's how you're going to learn what God wants you to learn. What he wants you to learn is you need to be content in him. Content with the grace that he has given you, that forgiveness. Content with just having his son. Isn't that enough? You've got to ask yourself, is that enough? So while we're talking about ancient Greece and ancient Rome, there was a great Greek philosopher. His name is Socrates. And he was once asked that question, who is wealthiest? Who is the wealthiest person? To which Socrates replied, he is wealthiest who is content with the least. Who is content with the least. And if that's true, shouldn't we also be content knowing that we don't have the least? We've got the most. We've got something that money could never buy. We've got something that you certainly can't buy. You can't pay the price yourself. But you've got the blood of Jesus Christ who's offering freely to you to accept that and to take his grace, to be forgiven for your sins and to have that salvation that only he can give. That is the most. And that's something that only Jesus can buy. So you gotta learn from this experience. You gotta ask for the strength you need in order to enjoy the joy that you can have right now in your faith. 